soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. We read, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. Now, later on in the chapter, we would read how he does go to Bethel. He builds the altar. He pours oil on it again, and God reaffirms the promises to him. And it's all been renewed and restored. Bethel is so important because it's house of God. That's what it means, house of God. And if you recall, when he fled from Esau, his brother, no record of him having a relationship with the Lord prior to that, but running from the death threat from his brother Esau, it is there where he used a rock for a pillow and slept, and the vision came to him in the dream of the angels ascending and descending from heaven upon him, and he woke up and said, God is in his place. Because in that dream, God spoke to him and affirmed to him the promises that he had made to Abraham, his grandfather, to Isaac, his father, that were now his promises. And we saw that when he came back to the promised land 20 years later, with his father-in-law and Uncle Laban on his, hot on his tail, that God affirmed to him that he was with him. God told him, go back to the promised land now. So God spoke to him. And it was there at, in the mountains of Gilead where he built an altar to the Lord and sacrificed to the Lord. We just saw that recently. And then he wrestled with God, came back to the land, and built an altar as well. He built an altar in the land when he settled in the land. So we see the pattern of worship. We also see that he cried out to the Lord in prayer. Before he wrestled with God, we see the first record of his prayer crying out to the Lord for deliverance. This is the panoramic of this man's life up to this point in time. So he's got adult children, all these factors, and then here... Yet again, in the context, he does not initiate the conversation with God. Yet again, just like when he was getting the evil eye from his brother, the brother-in-laws in the house of Laban, God spoke to him there when he said, now you need to leave Padamaram, Syria, and go back to the promised land. So even so here, when he's older and more seasoned in life and farther down the road, God speaks to him again. God initiates the conversation. God initiates the action. Clearly, definitively tells him what he needs to do. And he tells him, go back to Bethel. Which really is like saying, hey, go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. Because Bethel for Jacob is the beginning. 
Go back to the beginning. Go back to where it all began between you and me. Go back to where I came to you in the dream. And you confess me. I affirm my promises to you in the dream. You woke up and said, God is in this place. You consecrated the place. And you confessed faith in me. And you made a vow to me that you would acknowledge me as I took care of you. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning when you didn't have a wife and didn't have any children. Go back to the beginning when you're fearful for your life, when your brother Esau was going to kill you. Go back to the beginning when you trusted in yourself, when you had confidence in stealing the birthright from Esau and deceiving your father to get the blessings, when in fact all those things were intended for you. Go back to the beginning where I met you because you were like this before I spoke to you at Bethel in the dream and revealed myself to you. But then we met on this night in this place and then we had a relationship. And then after that, you had a life where I saw everything your uncle Laban did to you, contrary to you. And I saw the losses that you took in faithful service to him and how you gave that to me. And then I took you forward from that. And I protect you from Laban. I, I brought the dream to him where I told him, don't you mess with Jacob, speak good or evil. Go back to the beginning where it all began. When I was speaking with my sister recently, this last week, she, she's a... She likes Greg Laurie. She follows Greg Laurie, and you know she supports Harvest Ministries, as do we, so it's pretty cool. But she was terrified that when she came here Tuesday night, I was going to make her share her testimony. You know, like, but you know, when you're involved in recovery groups and stuff, you have to kind of get up and say stuff anyway. So you kind of learn how, like, hi, I'm you know, Bruce, and uh, you know, Finding Nemo, if you caught that one. But like, you have to, you know, and so you're used to that. But Barbie's like, oh, Joe, like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready if you need me to speak. I'm like, really? Yeah. She goes, yes. She goes, I've learned from Greg Laurie how to share my testimony. Great, because I learned that too years ago. She goes, oh, before, my life before, then how it happened, and then my life since then. I said, Very good, Barbie. And, you know, we learned from Greg Laurie you should have a one-minute version of that, a five-minute version, and the we're eating dinner in a French restaurant for two-hour version. Okay, so it's just really cool because it's a testimony. And the testimony is your life before Christ, how you came to Christ, and your life after Christ and what he's done in your life. And so that's very similar to Jacob here. God's like, hey, back to the beginning. You're afraid that you're going to die. You're afraid your family's going to die. And that somehow my promises are broken off because of your ineptitude or it wouldn't even say ineptitude. We don't even know what God thinks of the Dinah incident. There's no, God never speaks like, hey, these guys, they had coming to them. They raped your sister or your sons are violent bad guys and they wiped out, they're like gangsters and they wiped out people like tit for tat or whatever. We don't, God never comments on that. We only know that Jacob's terrified for his life and is really upset with his family, his adult children, when there's nothing new under the sun with that. And he's, he's like, ha. Ah. And it's at that point, he doesn't cry to the Lord, but God comes to him and says, and when he says, go back to Bethel, saying, let's go back to the beginning. Because that beginning of the house of God is a distinction where he was this way and, knew, and then had the encounter with the Lord and was that way. All those growth experiences that he had, wrestling with God, the name change, all that, it all follows that. But it's going back to the beginning. In the book of Revelation, when Jesus Christ is speaking to the seven churches of Asia. The one church that looks like it has it most together of all the churches is the church of Ephesus. They look 
on the outside, they got all together. They've got, if you could sort of use modern terms, they're so sound in their Bible teaching. Let's be honest, they were verse by verse. They were verse by verse ministry, the Ephesians. They were sound in doctrine. They knew the truth. They could defend the truth. Any world religion, pagan beliefs that came to Ephesus, those guys, those leaders, they could set them straight. They had, all, they had it. They had maybe a Bible college of some sort. They, they just had it all together, and they knew they had it all together. And they're actually kind of prideful in that. But when Jesus spoke to that church, he says, this I have against you. You've left your first love. And that church of Ephesus that Paul the Apostle planted in the book of Acts that was so fruitful and so dynamic where they burned the books and all the enthusiasm when they came to faith, that same church of Ephesus that Paul wrote to, six chapters, three about the rich things of God that they could comprehend what God's done for us and the application of faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, what we do in response, chapters four through six, all that had already happened. And then, of course, Timothy had been left there to be their pastor, which is the context of the pastoral epistles to Timothy. They had Paul and then they had Timothy. They knew the truth. But then a decade or so goes by and it's the end of the apostolic age. And the last word that we see on Ephesus is you've left your first love. And he says, return and go back to your first love. He says, go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning when you turn from evil things, that you burn the books that were contrary to me. When you were passionate for me, that you were on fire for me, and you, you lived a vibrant life with me. When it was simple, there was me, I was your king, and life was simple, and it wasn't complicated with flow charts of, of theology and orthodoxy or things that made you dry and took you from relationship to religion. Repent, he said to the church of Ephesus, and come back to your first love. Come back to relationship. And it is interesting in the human experience in the body of Christ for believers and followers of Christ, as well as philosophies and human religion and all these different things that people follow, because we're naturally in our flesh, we're set towards sin, that whether we have some reformed belief system that we follow or we're truly transformed by the second birth through faith in Jesus Christ, left to ourselves without being built up, we're going to gravitate back toward the rut that we came out of. So people that are sometimes excited about being a Jehovah's Witness, they fade away. If, if whatever, that's a whole other topic, but they, they'll fade away. The, the Mormons have a term for Mormons that fall away. They're called Jack Mormons. They fade away. There's apostate Catholics. There are people that embrace certain philosophies and they renounce those philosophies. Look at the Hare Krishnas and all that during the hippie days of the 60s. And some people that were Hare Krishnas just renounce all their Eastern mysticism eventually. In other words, what I'm saying is that we, without pressing on with focus, we'll just drift back to sons of Adam and daughters of Eve in sin. And of course, the world is groping in the dark without the transforming work of the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to do it in the first place. So we confess, the church of Jesus Christ, that we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're born again. If anyone's in Christ, or a new creation. All things have passed away, all things are new. So there's that enthusiasm, excitement when you see people like a Harvest Crusade sobbing and they're all excited. And all those Billy Graham movies back in the day where it would be the storyline of someone getting saved and super excited. And then all these things happen with life because life keeps happening. People get married. People get divorced. Kids grow up and make good decisions. Kids grow up and make bad decisions. Kids don't grow up and they die on the journey. There's all kinds of things that happen where life gets messy. You can pay your bills and you can't pay your bills. Your company's thriving and then Toys R Us goes out of business. You're no longer a manager and you can't get a job because you're in your 50s and no one's hiring older people. They only go for young people. It's all kinds of things that happen with life. Like Jacob here. You can just feel overwhelmed like... 
especially with adult kids, you're like, you know, that's not a good decision. Yeah, okay, Dad. That's, and then after a while, you feel like, bother all, like Winnie the Pooh. You just feel like you can't do it. And, and, and sometimes parents just say, you know what? I'm going to pray for you, which actually is the wisest thing to do anyways. But if we look at Jacob's situation here, he's got these adult kids. All these things have happened. like, I'm going to die. What can I do? My life is overwhelming right now. And isn't it nice to know that God comes to him in that situation and he engages him? And what does he say? Go back to the beginning. You've made this very complicated. Go back to the relationship, like Jesus said to the church of Ephesus. You know how many times throughout the Bible, God's like, it's always about restoration, renewal, and revival. Church history is revivals, which is basically God just saying, go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the relationship. It starts with a relationship at the point of contact of faith. And all that life will bring, good, bad, and ugly, beautiful, and anything that in the human experience, when you get to the end of it, it's you and Jesus. That's exactly how the relationship starts it and the relationship ends it. And it gets muddled and cloudy through religion, dynamics of the human experience, bills that can't be paid, creditors, new bosses, old bosses. You wreck your life like my sister on the streets for five years, drugs and alcohol. But you got to start somewhere. Remember what I told her almost three mothers. This Mother's Day will be three years. I said, the next thing in your life is to go to rehab and finish it. And with that clear mind, the Lord will restore those things to you that you've lost. And he did, and he has. And she's down there at DMV today getting the paperwork to have her driver's license restored after seven years of not driving. That's good. Because it's all a restoration. Like, you, I mean, you come back into society. You, you got a job. You show up on time. You get X amount of money. You pay your bills. And you live, under your, you live within your means. And, and she was so good at that before... The, the pain meds and the drugs and the alcohol is just once thriving, 401k, all this stuff. But like you, you rebuild your life with the Lord and you go forward. So often God has to take us back to the beginning. Let's just go back to the beginning. You know, communion's like that. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Twelve times a year on Saturday, once every month, we get a chance to go back to the beginning. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Every time we take communion here, individually, or in a marriage, or in a family, in a collectively as a church family or with visiting believers from other churches, Jesus is taking us back to the beginning. He is taking us back to Bethel. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not religion. It's not what you've been doing, a good week, a bad week, a good month, a bad month, quarterly profits, losses, or anything like that. Conversations you should have walked away from but didn't or conversations you did and good for you. All that is, you know what? All that's like the back of a baseball card. Statistics don't mean anything. This table says go back to the beginning and it's about me. And he wants us to be reminded on a regular basis to go back to the beginning, to be reminded, do this in remembrance of me. Go back to the beginning. Taking the complex and making it simple. All the noise, simplifying it. You and the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Just go back to the beginning. And it'll still, you know, in athletics, you'd say you got to slow the game down. Playoff games, different things, like you got to slow it down. The adrenaline. I tell people, you know, when competing at the highest level in surfing, when I'd be in the pipe masters, it's like you're about to tee off at Augusta for the masters. I mean, it is so intense. The adrenaline is so high. Plus, at masters, you're not 20-foot waves trying to kill you. It's a, it's a par three. Just put it on the green close to the cup. 
I'd be in the channel pipeline, like 15, 20 foot waves. The adrenaline would be so high, so fast, so insane. I'd have to, you just have to bring it down, slow it down, just like a starting pitcher in game seven. You got, you got to slow it down. You got to simplify things. You got to simplify things. And the devil knows if he can make it super loud and all these distractions and all these things that distract us and all this noise that it'll just speed up the game and we're just, we're just overwhelmed. And the Lord wants us to simplify, keep it simple. One of the beautiful things about being in ministry as a pastor full-time, you do enough weddings and enough funerals that it simplifies your life on a regular basis. When parents are grieving over a 17-year-old dying and they're banging on the coffin graveside, you don't forget stuff like that. That'll give you perspective on everything. And those of you who have experienced great grief and sorrow, you know what it's like. You know, If I live, I live. I die, I die. If we lose it, we lose it. If we keep it, we keep it. If they cause a problem, they cause a problem. What are you going to do? you got to simplify it. Either, And I shared even last, the other night with a number of relatives and my, my, my godmother. Uh, I literally shared, like, I'm trusting Jesus to raise me from the grave. So everything I face between now and then, he's got it. We're trusting Jesus to raise us from the grave. I was yet looking at another grave. My mom's grave on Thursday. We're trusting Jesus to raise us from the grave, and we can trust him. And there's a simplification of things when we're trusting in the Lord, and we're like, oh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Wait a second. Go back to Bethel. God loves you, and we love him because he first loved us. Simplify. You go back to Bethel, the place of simple worship. It was so simple that it's a testimony track with Greg Laurie. It was this, this is what happened, and now it's been that. Maybe we need to simplify. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. At some point, I'm sure you will. And then he said, he said, go back to Bethel, make the altar. Go right back to where it all began. Then he said, put away those things among you. So the putting away is an interesting phrase because in the New Testament, if we talk about the Old Testament being a shadow of things to come, well, in the New Testament, in those epistles, we see this phrase fairly often, put away or put off. Put off this and put on that. Put away lying, deceit, and all these different things. So put away. And a lot of times going forward with the Lord, as much as what we're seeking is what we're releasing. I remember when I was coaching the Chilean team, my good friend Manuel Selman, he was our team captain for Chile. It's a great career. Really neat guy. A thinker. And he's like so close to being right there. He's top 100 in the world. And just the difference between 100 and Top 10 on the world surf tour, it's, it's so minor. They're all so good, like golfers on the PGA. They're, they're all good. They can all shoot a 64 if you follow me. Like, they're all really good. So it's little things. I said, you know, Manuel, I think we need to consider is ask yourself this. What one thing can I do that will increase my value and my ability and my equity by 10%? What one thing can I add? I'm going to do this self-help course or do this or that. But then we need to ask ourselves one other thing, Manuel. What one thing can I remove from my life that will improve my career by 10%? And if you can figure out what to add one thing and what to subtract one thing, if they're both values, 10%, you will improve yourself by 20% in your career. And it's true. Recognizing what doesn't belong 
what is a distraction, what needs to be put away. Now, the context here, of course, is gods, false gods and household things. Now, contextually, that presents some problems because, remember, Rachel, who Jacob loved dearly, that's who he worked seven years, and it was as if no time at all to marry her, she stole her dad's household gods, Laban's, unbeknownst to Jacob. And so as they came in the promised land, they bought some stuff in there they shouldn't have been bringing in. And she had those gods. And to what extent those gods affected the home, the marriage, the kids, the multiple wives, and all that kind of stuff, we just don't know. Other than the context tells us that they all had stuff that they had to turn in and give up. And again, speaking from a parental standpoint, when your parents, it's tricky. Because you don't want to have a super harsh legalistic house where there's no joy of the Lord. And God gives us freedom. You, you can't have this controlled environment of an artificial society of perfection in the home because it doesn't work that way. Because then they go to work for the first day at Starbucks and they get shredded and they don't know how to stand it and they want to call mommy or daddy to come bail them out because they don't know how to handle that stuff. You've got you to gotta give them incremental freedom. But in giving children, as they grow up, incremental freedom... There are, there's things you have to decide. You have to decide, are we going to let them spend the night at people's houses at this age? And do we trust these people? Because they don't always go the way you think. And just because you think those people are solid with the Lord doesn't mean they are. We learned that lesson. You think this is the standard in our home. Surely it's the standard in their home. It may not be the standard in their home. When in doubt, hold it out. But still, you know, they're going to go to the prom at Edison or Mesa or Calvary Chapel and just, if they make the right decisions, you've taught them to make the right decisions, you've given them incremental freedom, it's, it's just, it's got to play out. But sometimes when that happens, there's decisions that are tough ones, and they can be life-changing and far-reaching, like your adult children having idols and false gods in the household, in their tent. It might not be in your tent, but it's in their tent. And he's like, Sometimes when you, 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 you go like this with little kids, you're like, okay, you can have a Barbie doll at five or whatever. you just like, enough is enough, right? Because you know, kids learn right away. Like, you throw a big enough strike, you, it's a war of attrition sometimes with parenting. And you're like, okay. But some things are, you know, are not to be compromised. Just some things are standards that you just don't ever want to capitulate in your home. And certainly, false gods are at the top of the list. And they come in many different forms in different ways. And it's just, it's hard sometimes. It's hard when your smart aleck kids think they know more than you and more than the living God. But you got to remember, Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that God's put eternity in our hearts. And there's no one spouting some false worldview or false world religion. There's no deep down in their heart that they're fighting against the living God. God has put eternity in our hearts. I don't believe in God. Actually, you do. Because even Voltaire, who fought God at the very end of his last breath of his life, said, the God I've denied and fought my entire life now, I now must face him. God's put eternity in our hearts. But it's tough when your kids make bad decisions. But, you know, things do have a way of playing out. So you just keep praying and you just keep committing them to the Lord. The the jury's still out on everything with your adult kids, by the way, in in most cases. Because things work together for good to those who love God. So eventually they just surrender to the Lord and they love God. Then it'll all work together for good. And you'll see God redeem those things. So we don't lose heart. Faith, hope, and love. And love never fails. And that's why it's the greatest. So we love. But there comes a point sometimes like Jacob where you're like, you know what? I'm the patriarch of this house. This estate is in my name. And you might be the first trustee. But I'm the patriarch. 
And this is the standard. So this is the way it's going to be. Bring me the false gods. If you know you're stepping into eternity tomorrow, what would you clean out today? That's really what the, it brings to an application. When God says, hey, you come back here, you and me one-on-one, and bring the family. Well, if you're showing up at Pastor Chuck's house for dinner 10 years ago, or he's going to take a ride in your car, you'd set the radio dials and make sure it's K-Wave and the fish and, you know, Air One or something, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's silly little things that we can use. My kids always make fun of me for 9-11, because when 9-11 happened, I threw everything away that I thought could possibly offend the Lord. They remember the tragedy of it all, but they remember Dad going, the Lord's coming. And... It's, it's such a vivid memory. It was like a trial run for stepping into eternity. Sometimes you need to throw stuff away. Less is more. Contextually, we see in it, it's, it's idolatry and stuff like that. But sometimes it's a simplification, again, of your life, like removing things that are just too much, that don't bear good fruit. They're distractions. They're frustrating, and they're not the Lord. They're striving You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.